Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Today, dear friends, as we uh, continue in our what I call potluck sermons, uh, because I haven't started the new series yet, uh, but we're in this uh, different just some that don't really necessarily go together, but sometimes they do. And this one does. Last week, we talked about the mind of Christ. And so today, I want to talk about the love of Christ. And here's the thing. Loving people is sometimes hard to do. Have you noticed that? It's easy to do to some and not so easy with others, right? And, and let me tell you, the, you know, as the older you get, things change in your life. And you see things differently than you did when you were younger. Has anybody noticed that yet? Yeah. And not only that, not only does age and experience change the way you see things and the way you love or not love, so does whether you have Christ in your heart or not. And, and, and let me tell you this. I've been a law enforcement officer most of my life. And let me tell you that there have been times that it was very difficult for me to love certain people. You understand that? And I suspect it's not that different for many of you. And I remember another time uh, that I didn't have a lot of love for some people in my heart. I was pastoring Decatur Wesleyan Church. This was 20-some years ago. And I was, pa- I was pastoring Decatur Wesleyan Church. And some of you may remember this. Uh, and it was a real snowy day. It had snowed all evening long. And this church had a massive amount of steps that when I think about 15 or 16 steps that went up uh, into, the, into the church. And it, it had uh, coated the steps. And you couldn't see the steps. It was just a, looked like a slide. And then it had rained. And it made it really slick out there. And it, and it got under the, uh, the colonnade and around the area and around the front doors. And uh, there were some kids across the street playing out in the mega snowman and doing that sort of thing. And it was sort of warm, warm enough a little bit, but it's still snowy. You know what I mean? And so I went outside. And some of you already know this, and you're probably going to know where I'm going with it. And, and I went outside, uh, and, I, and I, was, cause I had to get the mail. And the mail was right behind the big column on this church, which was an old EUB that the Wesleyan Church had purchased. And it, it was gorgeous inside. It had uh, kind of a, a theater atmosphere with theater seating all around the balcony. And it kind of uh, had a, like a slope to it. It was just gorgeous. And we'd redone it, and it was just an amazing uh, place. And so I stepped out, and, and I knew it was kind of slick there, but I didn't think much about it. I thought, well, you know, I'll probably just, you know. But I stepped on it, and I was getting the mail, and there was stuff down in the box. And as I got it out, I realized I was moving away from the box. I was slipping, losing my footing. And before I knew it, I couldn't grab anything. So I spun around and hit, hit and went straight down into the street, I might add. Okay? And it was this foul swill, <laughs> you know of slush in there, and I hit that, and water splashed everywhere, and to add insult to injury, I was clambering back up onto the block there, and this truck came through, and do you think he cared that I was in the street? Hit that water and just plastered me, and I, and I, and I laid there, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I don't think it was good. And I said, oh, no, 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 you know, and, 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 then, and then it got silent. And I just sat there, because you're soaking, what are you, you going to do? You're sitting there in this wet water. Well, all water's wet, but it's cold, wet water. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and there are some kids, and they all stopped what they were doing. And then all of a sudden they said, hey, hey, I'm clapping. I was struggling to show them much love at that moment. Other thoughts were coming to my mind. Love is not always easy, is it? And now, of course, I can laugh, and they probably still remember that. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would be so kind, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to do the same one we had last week, uh, because I think that this this passage uh, brings out not only the mind of Christ, but the love of Him as well. He is the incomparable Christ. And the Apostle Paul is speaking here, and I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version, because I really like the way that this is translated. 
And he says, uh, beginning uh, in uh, uh, the beginning of Philippians 2, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, starting at verse 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy. Verse 2, this is great. Complete my joy by being of the same mind and yet having the same love. Now, notice the contrast. Last week we had the same mind. Now we want to have the same love. Same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And get this, to the glory of God the Father. In other words, everything Jesus did was to the glory of God the Father. And you're going to hear it many times today. That every, this, is, this is what I find in the church. A lot of people want to separate the Father and the Son. The father is this harsh disciplinarian, and the son is this loving acceptor. That is false. They are one and the same. They are part of the Trinity. It has never changed. So regardless of what your perception is, Christ is here as this loving acceptor because the father sent him to do that. The father loves you. Henceforth, the son loves you. Amen? It is, we have to understand that the father wants his glory, though, and he deserves it. For without him, we would be doomed. See, I think as humans, even as Christians sometimes, we don't really understand love like we should. For the Father looks at love very differently than you and I do sometimes. I want to get into that in just a few minutes. Now, last week, we talked about having the mind of Christ and using the same scripture uh, today. Uh, There's so much here that we may find things that describe uh, Jesus differently than it did last week. Today, we want to talk about the love of Christ. Uh, and, and what a great day to, to do that, you know, because, I mean, my goodness, look what just happened here, you know. Uh, what you just saw today, what you just experienced, to me, proves the love that God has for us. You know, the baptism of a, of a young child at seven years old who knows who he loves and why. Okay, And then the parents who dedicate their children because they know who God is. And their prayer is that the children will come to know Christ and get to that point of baptism that the seven-year-old just did. Amen? This is what it's really all about, you see. And so that proves God's love. So to me, it's impossible to recall any picture of Jesus Christ that is not focused on love. Regardless of what he said or what he was doing. And all of us have seen pictures of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, knocking on the door of people's hearts. And then we've also seen it with Christ who has the broken heart. Right? You've seen these things. And there, there's a lot of depictions of the Christ out there. To be honest with you, probably not very many of them are, are accurate. But nevertheless, I understand the point of the artist. You see, we automatically think of love, or we should, when we think of Jesus Christ. Because he's the epitome of it. And that's exactly as it should be. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. And since Jesus is and always has been the exact representation of the Father, then he is also love. Let's face it. When we come to know Christ, I don't think there's any doubt we can see his love for us. For you start to remember and understand what he did for you. And if you haven't, and you decide to, you'll see it. You'll see it that, that moment. Now, regardless of what Jesus did, he did it all for love. Amen. Now, there's been lots of songs out there. I know a lot of them. And there's even one I'll call the 
what I did for love, right? Now, that's, some of you don't even know who that is or what that is, but it, it's been out a while. Uh, but there's a lot of songs, and a lot of them focus around love, but I think it's the wrong type of love. It's, it's love that the world understands. It's a romantic love. It's a, it's a filial love. That's a, the Greek word for friend love, filial. But God loves in agape love, the one that only comes from Him. And the only way you can love that way is if you belong to Him, you see. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, look at some of the displays of Jesus' nature. On occasion, uh, Jesus was rather stern. In fact, you can remember when he threw the money changers and the, the merchants uh, out of the temple. Now, I, you could say he did it out of love, but brother, he looked pretty stern to me when he did it, right? I mean, I, did, I wasn't there, but I read he was, he, he was angry. But can't you do things out of love through anger as well? I think he did, and we're going to get into more of that. What about the woman at the well whom he told to stop sinning? The same as he told the adulterous woman. Just as he told the rich young ruler to sell all his possessions and follow him. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But you see, Jesus knew that sinfulness, that greed, that pride, and really, honestly, self. <laughs> self put a barrier between humankind and himself. Those things, including self, put a barrier between the Trinity and humankind. He allowed no room for disobedience. He allowed no room for sin. Although people say he did, he didn't. I, I read nowhere where he condoned it, anywhere. And you may remember his warning to the man he had healed at the pool of Bethesda. He told the man after he'd healed him to stop sinning or, Jesus says, something worse might happen to you. <laughs> We're going to talk about that tonight in Bible Story Cafe with Dr. D. That is a stunning statement by the, by the Christ. And I looked at it every version and I went right back to the Greek and that's exactly, well, it's Aramaic, but that's exactly what he said. Stop sinning or something bad may happen to you. I think we should listen to that. Amen? Anybody? Okay, so he says this. You see, Jesus always loved and he healed, but his love and healing never allowed for sinfulness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to, if, if you're not sure you can agree with that, give me a few minutes. Because I think we're going to look at some biblical things that will prove to you that it's true. But you have to understand that Jesus was spiritually strong. He was spiritually strong. We aren't all the time. And I, I've had some weak moments spiritually. Anybody with me here? Weak moments spiritually. Well, Christ was always spiritually strong. It was his spiritual strength that enabled him to love others in spite of their imperfections. And yet demand better of them. Yes? You see, spiritually weak people oftentimes give up. Or they... Love only the easily lovable. And let's face it, some people in this world are not easily lovable, are they? Or they cripple spe people spiritually by accepting sinfulness and disobedience. And that's happened a time or two. This in turn may cause them to condemn sinful people as well as themselves, according to Scripture. Spiritually strong people, though, love everyone. Because of their love, they hold everyone accountable to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't overlook our faults or failings. Somehow, we've been taught that He does. No, He doesn't. But He loves us in spite of them. Amen? Amen. That's what He does. And still demands we change and become sinless. To become holy. He demands we become righteous. Amen. And here in our text... The Apostle Paul challenges us to follow the example of Christ in our relationships and with those around us. And I begin today after uh, starting by giving you my first point, which is that Jesus taught love. Any way you slice it, he did that. And the, in fact, the great commandment is wrapped in love. Love God. <laughs> Isn't that the greatest commandment? Jesus said it was. Love God, right? Matthew 22 Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. He said this is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, who said that? 
Jesus did, right? He didn't give a complicated list of rituals and ceremonies. In fact, he made it very simple. He said, love God first. I mean, you can't, I mean, for, in any language that that's translated, love God first means love God first. <laughs> but somehow we want to believe it means something else. Well, maybe love God after I've loved everything else I want to love. No, he didn't say that. He said, love God first. And here's the beginning of the problem. Do you think most people actually love God? Now, that's a fair question. And, and, I, and I had to think about it. I thought, wait a minute. Whoa. And you've got to be honest with yourself because, you know, I think people do. I, I, I think people love God. But I don't think everybody does. And I doubt seriously if people who say they love God really do. But, but that, I can't, that's not my call. God knows if they do or not. But I think it's plausible that some people don't love God. And, and, and let's, let's go further. Do you think most people? Well, the Bible seems to indicate that at the end of times, that there's going to be fewer people that belong to Christ than those who do. Okay? There's going to be more that don't than do. And henceforth, the sheep and the goats, right? The, the goats go through the wide gate because there's more of them, you know, and the sheep go through the narrow gate because there's less of them, yeah? That's, that's how it's going to be. The Bible says that. So I suspect then, and that came from Christ too, by the way, so I suspect that most people probably don't love God, especially not in the last days. Now, I know we love ourselves. <laughs> now, I, I counsel people sometimes that don't love themselves, and that's an emotional problem. We try to fix it. I think you need to love yourself, sure. You have to have some esteem, but who do you love first? Isn't, isn't it God first, spouse second, children third, and self last? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? And again, do you think that there's people out there going to dispute that? Well, well, I, I've heard women tell me I could never love my spouse before my children. Well, then you got it backwards. Amen. And, it, it, and your fight isn't with me, it's with the Word. Okay? Because your children only exist because you had a spouse. Typically. No, there was no pun there, but nevertheless. But, but, but that's, that's how, right? I mean, this is, so, but let's, let's look. God's at the top, but we're self at the bottom of that pile. That's hard for us to do because we're taught, get yours. Look out for number one. Do your stuff. Yeah? Step on whoever you can to get where you want to go. Tell me that hasn't been taught. In sports, in school, in the workplace, even in, out in the playground. We've been taught that. And a lot of times we act upon it. You see, if you can't love God first, then you can't love anybody else the way that God has demanded that they ought to be loved. And the fact is, people struggle to understand this. I know they do. And I, and I, I would be silly to tell you that I didn't struggle with it. But when you start to understand, you come to Christ and you start to understand what He's done in and for you, well, that starts to change things in your mind a little bit. Because it starts to remanufacture re your heart here. And when that happens, your mind starts to come along. Agreed? This happens. And it's a beautiful transformation. You see, he made the second most important commandment to love those around us. Love him first, and then love others around us. In Matthew 22 also, 39 and 40. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. He said, love your neighbors. And I thought, well, what if we don't like our neighbors? Anybody not like their neighbors? Be honest. I can't see anyone. <laughs> see? Some people don't like their neighbors. I've had neighbors I didn't like. Are you with me here? And sometimes we don't want to admit it. Well, I wouldn't say that in church. <laughs> You're going to say it everywhere else. Right? It's, it's just, some, you know, right? Sometimes you don't like your neighbors. He even taught that we should love our enemies, God forbid. Because I'll tell you, I've had some enemies, and I don't, it's difficult for me to love them. There were times I didn't at all. Anybody? You, you, right? Loving your enemies is hard. Matthew 5, you've heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, you can't be a child of God unless you do. Amen. <laughs> Man, you talk about giving goosebumps and thinking, oh, that's a verse I'm not sure I like. Yeah? We've all been there, right? Okay? And I begin to think about that. Well, wait a minute. Well, who are my enemies? Who are your... I mean, have you thought... Think about it for a minute. Who are your enemies? 
I, I wonder if we get this wrong too sometimes. Because we probably have enemies in our humanness. Right? And sometimes people force you to be their enemy. Because they're yours. But you don't have to accept. Right? And that, that's really where we're going here. You see, you don't have to have enemies. They may be, they, you may be their enemy, but you don't, they don't have to be yours. You see? That, Christ changed all that. But here's who your enemies are. Probably those who don't like you. Is that possible? What about those who are an enemy of God? Oh, whoo, are we going down that road? Well, I think we have to. Does God have enemies? Does the Bible say that he does? Okay, so in fact, the Bible says if you don't do that, then okay, we're going to get there in a minute. Listen to this. Let's just go there. <laughs> if we're true Christians, then the enemies of God are our enemies as well. Do you understand that? Look what he says. This is, comes from James 4.4. 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Amen. Now, this isn't something we want to dwell on too often, you know. Right? Amen. Because it, it, it doesn't make us an enemy of the world. What it does is causes us to come up to the next level of our spirituality and see things the way God does. God isn't telling you to go out and hate everybody that's in the world. That's not what he said. But they hate him. And because and Jesus said, they will hate you because of me. And so when they do, there's, they become an enemy of God. So they're your enemy as well. But he still loves them. You understand? Okay? He still loves them, and so must you. And this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they're an enemy of God until they reconcile with God. Yeah? And that makes them our enemy. But again, Jesus called us to love our enemies. But we have to remember that they are the enemy, and that means we cannot compromise with their thought process. Because our reconciliation as a human is to sometimes overlook things that made them our enemy in the first place. Right? And God cannot, nor does He, overlook sinful behavior. Ever. So the only way you're ever going to grasp this, friends, and I'm teaching some pretty deep stuff here, you, you're, you're never going to get to this point until your spirituality comes up to a level that God can teach you. That's right. Do right. you understand? That's right. That's right. We cannot compromise with them. We cannot compromise with their beliefs. We cannot compromise with their actions because what may be normal to them cannot be for us because it isn't for God. And let's face it, friends. There's a lot of things in society that society says is now normal. It became normal somehow. Over time. And do you think the enemy's not behind that? Did Satan, did he do this? Did he desensitize society over time where it was, it was terrible here, but now all of a sudden it's acceptable? Yeah. And now it's not acceptable, it's preferred. It, we actually go that far. This scares me. It scares me because it's no wonder there's going to be this many goats and this many sheep. You understand? And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm saying that's reality. And here's the other thing. If we can't love our neighbors, how will we love an enemy? Right? You see, there's a difference, but you still have to love. Love covers faults and shortcomings, and, and it eliminates envy and jealousy. Have you noticed that? Amen. And loving those around us is a wonderful dimension in our lives, and it enhances our Christian witness. It always has. You see, we're not good followers of Jesus unless we practice what we're taught. Amen. And that means loving others as he first loved us. So he taught love. Secondly, Jesus practiced love. And sometimes this, you know, you know, teaching it might be one thing, feeling it's another, but practicing it, well, that one's probably more difficult. Because his life radiated love to those who absolutely knew him the best. Amen. I love this part. Because you can see the transformation in the disciples and those who walked with Jesus. Their lives transformed not only before his eyes, but in the scripture before mine, before yours. We see what happened. In fact, in describing the relationship between Lazarus and Jesus, John writes that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
Even the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. And on two occasions, John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Doesn't he? In telling his disciples how he wanted them to love, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. See, the transformation of love as they walk, you couldn't be with Jesus and not be found out that you couldn't love the unlovable. And you couldn't be with Jesus and buy into what he's done and accept that and not love others, just like you can't today. It's not, it's not possible. In fact, Jesus exhibited love even to those who were apparent strangers to him. I mean, he, this, is, this is stunning to me. According to Mark 10, 21, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, or the rich young man, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He didn't agree with him, but he loved him, you see. But Jesus' love for this man, in his love for this man, he had to give this guy a direction that the guy didn't like too much, right? And you can understand that as a parent, right? Because some things that your kids want to do in love, you can't allow them to do it no matter how much they want it. Because you wouldn't be a very good parent if you did. Agreed? Agreed. See, now some parents are poor parents when they try to be the friend of their child and let the kid do whatever. They're, they're not helping their kid, they're crippling them. For life, probably. And this happens oftentimes. I remember my wife used to tell our kids, you can hate me for loving you. It's called tough love sometimes. But is it what's be- And I'll bet you, kids that really get it later on in life say, thank you for doing that. Because I, you know, I, I said I'd never do it, but I look in the mirror and I become my dad. I think, how did that happen? You know? And my dad was kind of harsh on me sometimes. And I, uh, I probably deserved it. And I'm not going to say he made me the man I am today, but Jesus did. But my dad taught me the right things in life. And then God took over and told me why. You see, this is, this is how it all works. And so oh, yes. when Jesus looks at this young man, he says, sell all you've got and now follow me. And the guy shook his head in disgust and walked away, dejected. Because he, he, he couldn't do it. He didn't realize that his possessions were between him and Christ. They were more important to him than Christ. And Jesus knew the guy was going to love his possessions more than he ever loved God. But if he would love God first, would he sell the possessions? I would think so. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach him. Now, the woman at the well is another example. Jesus loved her so much that he offers her living water. Right? He offers her living water. But he reminds her that she's living in adultery and, in fact, had done so many times. In fact, five times. <laughs> he said, in fact, you've had many husbands or been with many men. In fact, the man you're living with now is the fifth one is, is still not your husband. And, you, you know, she probably had to go, who are you? <laughs> and who sent you? <laughs> right? Right? But he basically tells her to follow the commandments and then stop her sinning and follow him. And, and it moves her, you know. And then we find the adulterous woman, who's yet another example. Jesus could have condemned her. He could have condemned her. And the day would come and will come uh, well, when he will if she doesn't get right with him, you see. That day's going to come. God the Father will condemn her if she's not right with him, as it is for all of us. But notice, at this moment, he simply commands her to stop sinning. Amen. In fact, that's the focus of all of it. A lot of people look at that story and say, well, you know, the most important thing is uh, he was without sin, cast the first stone. No, it's not. I mean, that's, that's at the beginning of it, but that's not the most important thing. Jesus looks at this woman in the eyes, and I like to think that he, he puts his hand, you know, under her chin and lifts up so she can look at him face to face, and he says, who, who among these condemned you? Well, she said, well, no one, sir. Then neither do I. But go now and sin no longer. That was the most important part. I'm not condemning you now, but the time may come. That's the, that's the inference. The time may come, and I believe it will. He commanded her to stop. The point is, we've been taught that to love somebody means to accept their sinfulness. Or tell them, it's all right, bless your heart. No, 
Jesus never did that. Why would we? Because the enemy wants you to, because when you do it, you condemn them. You understand that? When you won't tell someone the truth and explain to them as the messenger that they've got to get right before God in order to be a child of His. Because see, the, the world wrongly thinks that all humans are children of God. No, they're not. We're God's creation. But you become a child of God when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and are readopted by justification into the family of God. Amen? Amen. That's how it happens. Every Christian denomination in, on the planet believes that. Everyone. Okay? So you become a child of God when that happens, and God wants you to live in His family for eternity. And who does He not want to live there? Well, no one. He wants everybody there. But sadly, not everybody chooses it. And again, Jesus knew this. And so he said, listen, uh, you've got to stop your sinfulness. He told him all that. And when we put our arm around somebody who's involved in sinful activity, now I'm not saying you shouldn't have compassion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't you know, be understanding, but you can't compromise it. And there's a difference. Okay? There's a difference. And what I like to do is just talk about the love of God. That's what I do. And I teach them, I show them what, you know, that Jesus looked upon these people that were sinful in the Bible, and he loved on them. But he told every one of them to stop. Amen? You see, when we accept their sinfulness or condone their sinful behavior or compromise biblical principles, that's not showing them love. We think it is. It feels like it at the time. Okay? But it's really condemning them, and the reasons are obvious. And again, Jesus never did that. So we can make an impact on our world today, and I want to do that. Anybody here want to make an impact on your world? Now, come on. What do some of you do? Amen. I think probably everybody in here does. Mm -hmm. I want to make an impact. I want to touch our world and make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I know, what the, I know what the world needs. Anybody here know what the world needs? Jesus. Can you guess? See, we can make an impact by demonstrating unconditional love to the people that we meet. Unconditional love doesn't mean condoning simple practice. Simple belief doesn't mean that. In fact, unconditional love would mean that we would take a stand on the Word of God and hold people accountable to it because God's going to. Now, we're not their judge. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we can judge sinful activity. You know whether the Bible says that this is okay or isn't. And you can judge that. God gave you a brain. And He taught you in your heart to know the difference. So we have to hold people accountable. And if we don't, again, we now condemn them. We condemned ourselves. Romans 1, 32 and Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Did you hear that? And Jesus said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've ever spoken. And when you've told somebody that their sinfulness is okay and God accepts them that way and they can continue in it, then that's an empty word. He says, for by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. That's the truth here. Now, we don't want to hear it oftentimes, but that's what he said. And so, as I look at that, I'm thinking, brother, I better be right when I tell people, amen? And I better, instead of guessing what's in here, I better start reading it and knowing. Anybody? And here's another thing that I noticed. Have you noticed, friends, that when you spend time in the Word of God and, you're, and, and something is moving upon you and then you come across somebody, all of a sudden, what you were reading pertains exactly to where they're at. Who's done that? Anybody? Like that's, you know, somebody made that up or something. Didn't, you, didn't God do that? He used you to do that. I think that's just gorgeous, man. You know? Funny how that works. But you know how it started? My willingness to be in the Word. My desire to be in the Word. My desire to not only be in the Word, but to understand what I've read and have, help it change me from the inside out. Isn't that crazy how God changes you from the inside out? Here's the other thing. You know, you have big changes when you, when you get saved. You have big changes, and people see it. But over time, uh, the changes are more subtle. It's the deep, dark things that God's eradicating. Have you ever noticed that? He gets in there, and, you know, and I, here's what I did. I allowed God to have every part of the house of my house, but that, but that one closet back here that I didn't want to give up, I, put, I, I locked it up and hoped God would just keep passing by and not notice it. Anybody do that? Uh-huh. Here's the thing. He notices us. He knows us there, but you're just like, whoo-hoo, somehow he doesn't know. Right? 
Right? I'm the only dummy that did that, right? Like somehow God doesn't know what's going on. Right? You can fool people. My dad used to tell me that. You, you can fool some people all the time and all the people some of the time. But you can never fool, all, well, you can never fool God no matter what. And, and, and who's tried to do that? Anybody ever tried to fool God? How'd that, how'd that work out for you? Not, not too good probably. Yeah, because he, he's good at you know, knowing that stuff. And so, you know, and I think, wow, you know, that's crazy stuff. But it's true. Man, man, you talk about bam in your face. That's it. God's right there. And everywhere I went, when I was trying to hide, there he was. <laughs> so I'm like, whoop, there it is. Here's your new one. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Last week, what did I give you last week? What did I tell you last week? Somebody just told me. You just told me, Mike. What did I tell you? Which part? Oh, no. <laughs> you, you told me this morning or yesterday when I came in, you told me what the, the hook. Oh, such a We are family. Yeah, right? Okay, so today is, whoop, there it is. You know, because God's always right. He's right there. Don't you hate that when God just shows up and you're hoping he won't? Well, I got news for you, friend. He's always been around the whole time anyway. Because he is omnipresent. It seems like the devil is, but he's not. I know when the devil comes and goes. Me too. Oh, yes. Definitely. Huh? You know, friends, number three, Jesus' ultimate proof of, proof of his love was his death on the cross for us. I think that's just, you know, no matter how you look at it, man, this, is, this has got to move you. You know, I mean, you can't watch the passion of the Christ and not be moved every time you see it. And I, and I wonder, and I, and I know I'm educated enough to know what a crucifixion was like. Okay? And the movie does a pretty good job on it. it does, matter of fact, it does a really good job on it. But there are certain things, even some of the grotesqueness of things that they did still isn't shown there. And Jesus went through all that, you know. His death proves his message of love for the world. Because he died for people whether they would accept him or not. And ultimately, they'll be condemned if they don't. But he gives them all this, this time. On, their time on earth gives them that opportunity. And I wonder if sometimes people who are really sick and are really ill and won't give their heart to Christ, I wonder if he lets them linger, hoping that they'll do it. Have you ever wondered that? I don't know. Because it seems like as soon as they accept Christ, it's over. I've seen that more times than I can count. And remember, he and the Father are one. We've we got to come back to that. Because, friends, as I've said in previous messages, uh, Christians have compromised this fact under the guise of love. We've compromised the fact that Christ and the Father are one. Because we want to separate the two. Again, God's the big bad disciplinarian and Jesus is the lover who accepts everything. No. No, they're one and the same. Let me explain this. I've heard it over and over again that we cannot judge others. You can't judge me. You can't. But people always do it defensively. Have you ever noticed that? It's always a defensive mechanism. Okay? Because they don't want to be told. Right? (laughs) I've done it. Have you done it? Probably. And just as many times, again, I've heard that Jesus accepts people just as they are. Well, again, these are dangerous statements if one doesn't understand the truth of them. Okay? I'm not saying that they're wrong. What I'm saying is you will spin it in a way and manner that suits you. Don't judge me or Jesus accepts me as I am. Tell me you won't. Okay? That's what we do as humans. Now, yes, Matthew, uh, in Matthew, Jesus says we should not judge. But we typically misunderstand the context in which he said it. In fact, in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6, I'm going to read here uh, the new uh, Revised Standard because, I, again, I, I like the way it reads it. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? See, we stop after the first stanza. And then we say, wait, Jesus said, don't, don't judge. But read further. Read further and look at the whole context. He said, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in yours? In other words, they're being hypocritical. That's why he said, don't judge. Okay? Or how can you say to your neighbor, provided you like him or don't like him. We just talked about that, you know. 
Uh, how, do you, how do you say to your neighbor, okay, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly enough to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Amen. There's the hook and key. He didn't say don't judge. He said don't do it when you're in a state where you shouldn't be. That's what he said. But if you follow me and you're like me, now you can judge what's sinful and what's not. And you won't do it hypocritically. Okay? He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. This is also part of this. Do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. See, you've got to look at the whole context of what Jesus is saying. And of course, like everything else, we want to pick and choose what he said so we can use it to our advantage. Uh -huh. Amen. And that's not what he said. Okay? Now, <laughs> Jesus never commands us not to judge or never to judge. That's not what he said. What he does say is that Eternal judgment is left up to the Father. And I'm grateful that he's the one, because he's the righteous judge, yeah? Aren't you glad that God's the one? Okay. It's left to the Father. And that he is in complete agreement with what the Father does. That's what Jesus says. And in this passage, people were being hypocritical by judging the lives of others when they were doing things that were just as wrong as those they were judging. And he was addressing that. So you have to look at the context of what he said. Okay. And then beyond that, okay, he, he goes a little bit further. He tells them to fix what's wrong in their lives. Fix what's wrong in their lives before they point out the flaws in others' lives. Mm -hmm. Fix what's wrong, and then you'll be able to do so. Now, that tells me he's encouraging me to have a, a more righteous life so that I can judge in the manner that he does. Jesus isn't judging humankind either. But he judges whether they're sin or not in their lives. And he told them, stop your sinning, because he knew what it was. And he's telling us to do the same thing. Stop their sinning. And you can't do that if you don't know what sin is. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to judge what's sinful and what's not in order to tell people and teach them, what because they don't know. And sometimes they do. But you have to be like Christ in order to do this. So fix what's wrong in your life so that you can do it for others. It doesn't mean don't judge. Okay. For we can surely judge what is right or wrong in the lives of others. But it's kind of difficult to do when you aren't where you belong. Anybody? Right? Because it's easier to, to blame shift. Don't we do? Well, if someone calls, calls you, well, well, so-and-so. And have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that when uh, somebody says, well, you know, that's kind of simple. And you ought not be thinking or doing that. Well, let me tell you, I'm better than I used to be. And I'm better than such and such. Are you going to tell God that when you meet him? Well, I'm better than I used to be, God. Great. But we didn't. Come on. It's almost like sliding into third, first, you know, third base and you got, there's a distance, right? You didn't get there. You're still out. <laughs> you got close, but you're out, right? Baseball players? Well, you get stuffed at the goal line, right? You were close in the end zone, but you didn't get in. Anybody there? Right? So do, do we get seven points by almost getting there? No. See, this is what God's trying to tell us. He's trying to teach us this. You can't. God's standards are how you, you look at it, not, not yours or somebody else's. You will always pick out somebody who's worse than you. Am I the only one that does that? Funny how that works, isn't it? Now. He further tells us it's of no use anyway because those who aren't holy will never become holy from you telling them how wrong they are. That's why he says don't throw your pearls to swine. That's not going to do it. You have to bring the message to them, but he's got to do the convicting. And aren't you glad God gets to do that? If we bring the message, God does the convicting, right? He, and he will too, right? He will because he convicts me, right? I don't like it, but he does it, right? He does that. You see, God has to change their hearts. And the best you can do is be the messenger of his salvation. So let's start there. 
If they won't listen to what's wrong in their life, then just teach them of God's love and how he wants them to live in eternity with them. Because when they start looking at him, they'll see the difference <laughs> between them and him. Yeah? He's good at doing that. There's always a way into somebody's heart, and, and Christ is the one that knows it, you see. Secondly, Jesus absolutely never accepted people in a sinful state. Again, he never cond uh, condoned poor behavior. Yes, he accepts those, but those who desire to change and become saved children of God. That's who he accepts. Amen. His message was always that. Notice the difference. He will accept them in their current state with the understanding that they want him to change it. <laughs> he did that for me anyway. He, he, he said, yes, I accept you, but I want you to change these things in your life. And if you belong to me, you will change them. Did he tell anybody else that? Did anybody else in here hear that message? I think you probably did. Okay? You see, we've compromised this particular position, and we've given Satan authority by simply telling people that the love of God covers their continual sinfulness. Well, he still loves them, but they're not saved. It just doesn't, friends. Love has nothing to do with it. That's like telling a kid, you're not going to go to that party because it's not good for you. Well, you don't love me. I think I do love you. This is why you're not going. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, it's kind of hard to, you know, articulate God and humanness. I, I get that. But you see the, the irony of that. Does that mean you don't love them? No. Love's got nothing to do with it. It's not good for him. And so you said no. Hmm. This is just, this is just, this is crazy how Satan's got us in this, in this vacuum where we're just going to accept anything he puts out there. And God says, no, 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 no. Listen to me. You see, love doesn't mean that, that God is going to accept them and their sinfulness into the kingdom of heaven until they change. He loves them so much that he sent his son so that they would change, you see. But we've allowed Satan to dictate a falsehood as to the meaning of the love of Christ. And yes, there will be people that Jesus loves who will not make it into heaven. I, the Bible says so. He and the Father are in complete agreement on the Father's judgment. And he always has been. And the Bible says, according to Jesus, you shall not want to see it. I, I, I do not want to see the Father's judgment, and I'm telling you, I don't want anybody to see it, not even the enemies. Anybody with me here? I want no one to see the Father's judgment, but it's going to come. Now, to prove how much this is true, the Apostle Paul spoke of the love of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a beautiful scripture. Okay? In other words, Paul, get this, no longer lived as he did when he was sinful. He stopped living that way. Amen. Why? Because he was crucified with Christ. Not physically, but he crucified that sinful self that God eradicated from his life to the grave where it belongs. And he rose with Christ with a clean slate and a brand new creation. In God. Which means his sinful thoughts, his sinful lifestyle was gone. And it doesn't mean he doesn't dabble in it once in a while like people do. But when you dabble, you know. Amen? You know. And he became one that is sinless and one that honors the commands of the God of the God and the Father that saved us. That's what he that's what he did. Paul also commands the church to live in love as Jesus did. Ephesians 5, 2, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And I'm way out of time here, friends, so I've got I to gotta move forward. So l l let me tell you this. Okay. So here, here's where I want to go. I, I, I think you get it. We can't sugarcoat any of this stuff, and I, and I don't want you to. Okay. But the fact is that because of his pedigree from the Father, Jesus owed us nothing. He lived up there in heaven. He didn't have to come here, but he did. He gave himself for you, for me, everyone on earth, and even those who continued to hate him. And people actually hate him 
when they reject him and his commandments. Did you understand that? That's what the Bible says. So say it for what it is, and we can't sugarcoat that either because God doesn't, which brings us to another obvious and, and fair question, and that is what proves that you are followers of Christ? I think you ought to know. I, I, I do. I think when people, when I ask people, do you know what makes you a follower of Christ? They look at me, uh, uh, ask me, I'll tell you. And I think anybody who knows what it is, who's actually had this transformation, take you know. I know what I used to be. Anybody know what they used to be? Do you know what changed you? Okay. So that's the answer, you see. So this has to be the fact that we reflect the love that he demonstrated for us and to us and that which also ought to shine through us as we live for him. That's got to happen. And the only problem is, how are you demonstrating that love? I mean, are you doing it the way the devil told you to do it? Are you doing it the way God tells you to do it? Are you condoning sinful behavior, beliefs, and practices of others, using the love of Christ to justify it? He didn't. Or are you standing firm on the commands and the promises in the Word of God that are given to us by the Father and then fulfilled by the Son? That's what I want to know. If you truly have the heart of Christ, you will be His messenger to others so that they can and must change. Accepting Jesus as their personal Savior. Allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to live in and through them. Do the complete work that it set out and was designed to do in order to reject their sinfulness, repent, and then turn from it, becoming a holy vessel which glorifies our Father in heaven. And as our worship team comes, friends, let me ask you this. Our world today is cold and incredibly impersonal. We live in a cold and impersonal world, and it's becoming more so with every week that goes by. Cold and impersonal. And the way we treat others is so important. Sometimes they need a loving hug. And sometimes they need a loving kick in the seat of their pants, followed by the loving hug. <laughs> you know, you can say that and accept it until it's you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But the reason is, to Jesus, each one of us is so special that he willingly paid the ultimate price. Make no mistake, friends, Christ loves you. And he loves all his children. And he hopes that all will become his children. Okay? But his ultimate desire is that the love of Christ flows in and through you. Be the person he called you to be. Hold others accountable to the word of God so that they can be the people he's called them to be. Friends, this is what love is. It is. That's what love is. That you care so much for somebody that you won't condone their sinful behavior, but you want them to live in eternity right next to you. That is love. That is the difference. You see, Satan's clouded version might be easier, and sometimes it might even look right, but it isn't. Choose the true love of God the Father through Christ the Son, and trust Him, because He wants no one to spend eternity outside of him. Would you stand with me today? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.